And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat. When your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Good morning, Roxy Soxy. And good afternoon, Tam Tam. How are you? You just washed your hair, I see. And it lays perfectly <gasps> flat and straight when you wash it, which is BS because I have to like, I'm having my hairdresser come to the apartment in Australia tomorrow, t- today after this, to do my hair because my hair is just a complete disaster if I just leave it to wash and dry. See, but the grass is always greener on the other side because I wish my hair had body and I wish it would like have movement because it's just, especially in the summer, it's just like flat to my head, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Roxy, you think you want like, you think you want some kind of volume, but I'm talking like it comes out like a completely feet away from my head. Like it's not cute. There's nothing cute about it and it's fuzzy and it's brittle, but yes, we can trade hair anytime. (laughs) Okay, good, good. And by the way, everything is cute on you. So I would love to see you. I want you to like go full body for me, like fluff it out all the way. I've done, you know, during the pandemic, I Uh, I did that for, for, for months. It was just uh, a complete and utter ball of curly disaster mess. So so yes, Roxy, I'm going to talk to my next guest about her hair because her hair is so luxurious and beautiful. And I want to know if she's cracking eggs on it or putting vinegar on it or what she's doing, why it's so shiny, even though we're not supposed to be talking to her about her hair, we're supposed to be talking to her about our finances, because we need to know all the things about money, because I wasn't very financially literate. Like, you know, I was financially mm. illiterate as a as as a teen. You know, I was on a TV show as a very at a very young age. And I did buy property at 19 because my parents told me that's what I should do. But I really didn't know much about money. I didn't know about spending. Um at some point in my 20s being on a TV show, I kind of ran out of money and then, you know, made mm. it again. But I think that if I had known more about my finances. And again, the word is to be more financially literate. I think that I would probably be even further in my life because luckily I was Mm. making good money as a kid, but they don't teach these subjects at school. Um, You know, they Mm. just tell you to not rack up credit card debt. And, you know, if I knew about, you know, a 401k when I was in my 20s, like I would have had so much more when I retire. So Let's talk to our next guest and get some answers because I know a lot of our our listeners um, struggle with this subject. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, I remember you're saying about the, the credit card debt really rang a bell with me because I remember going to college and like you're saying, like in high school, there was never any financial literacy courses, anything like that. And I remember going to college and they have tables set up like in the comments that are like, get your cell phone, you know, sign up for a credit card. And as a freshman, mm-hmm. like a dumb freshman, you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up for a credit card and a cell phone. And you're not even thinking about it. And they have mm-hmm. nothing, you know, nothing to back it up, like no education. And so you, a lot of people get themselves into serious debt, you know, during college, coming out of college in your young twenties, you know, and it, unfortunately debt doesn't go away until you pay it off. So it mm-hmm. kind of 
hangs over the head. But um, but yeah, we definitely need some financial literacy. So we are yes, so we excited. Do. She's gonna tell us to stop paying for like margaritas <laughs> yeah. and like the four yeah. seasons in Bali is probably the first step. <laughs> <laughs> yes, an expensive hair color and all the things, right? Yeah. Um, so we're we're so excited to welcome today this financial guru. She's an author. She's a podcaster. She works in mergers and acquisitions. She's got a huge TikTok following Mm -hmm. and she tries to educate people about money and relationships and how can they, they can be smarter with money. So without further ado, let's welcome Patty Asai. Hi. (laughs) We are so excited. Like when I started Mm -hmm. uh, looking at your TikTok and finding out more about you, firstly, thank you for what you do. I think, you know, so many, me included are, don't, still have so many questions and don't know if they're doing it right. And I'm in my thirties, I'm in my late thirties and I have a little bit of guilt uh, about, I've got two small children about what I could have done. Could have, would have, should have like you, you can't go back in the past, but, but like I want to make the right choices now so that my kids grow up and have a great future that we still have a great future. So yeah, we have so many questions for you. Um, my biggest question, my first question is, how do we become multimillionaires? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, okay. The answer to that is really actually easy is A, getting on a budget, right? Mm. And B, investing. Those two things go hand in hand. Most of the millionaires have never made over a hundred thousand dollars in in their a year in their lives. Okay. Mm. I think it's like some high percentage of millionaires. I think it's like over 70% have never made over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So that tells you that if that's the case, then the way that they made their money is by budgeting. And then the money that they had, that they weren't wasting on margaritas and <laughs> the four seasons on, you know, and avocado toast <laughs> and on their hair oh and all this stuff that they were actually investing the money. So mm. really the the way that you become a millionaire is, is a, either you, you have a job that gives you so much money, right. Mm-hmm. And, or B investing. That's mm-hmm. it. And on, you know, the flip side of that, like, what, what are we doing wrong? Like, what are the things mm-hmm. that we are doing wrong, especially, you know, as we're, you know, twenties and thirties and forties, like, what are we doing wrong? Is because you're not, you're not on a budget. The budget Mm. is the most important thing you can do. That's where it all starts. You're just spending your money, hoping that, okay, maybe this month I'll save a little bit. Maybe next month, maybe this month I won't save a lot. And you don't have a plan as to how to get your finances together. And if you don't have a plan, you're going nowhere fast. There's Mm. so many tools online, so many budgeting tools online that you could just go on, put in your financial goals, and it spits out exactly how much you should be spending every month and on what. And as long as you follow that blueprint, it's there, right? As long as you follow that blueprint and start investing your money, that is the way you be, you become financially independent. See, I have a weird job. Um, and it's funny because my mm. friend actually said to me yesterday, I don't even know how you do it. Every year that I start, I'm in the entertainment business. My husband's a director. I'm an actress. And then I have a whole social media um career as well, which I work with brands, which is wonderful. But at the beginning of each year, I have no idea what I'm going to make. I could make, I mean, two years ago, I had an incredible year, 
four years ago. Yep. I had a horrible year. My husband, okay. who's a director, makes chunks of money. So it's like one big chunk, then nothing for two years. One big chunk, then nothing. So it's so hard for me to even know at the beginning of each year what I'm going to make, what I can spend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my husband's theory is, well, just don't spend anything. But that's just not realistic. Like you have children, they obviously are wanting to go to summer camp. They want to go to extracurricular activities. You know, you do want to go have a date night with your husband and and pay money for the babysitter. So like, what right. do you do when you're in a job or a situation like I am where I don't know what I'm going to make every year, you know? And it's funny, I right. end up making kind of the same amount, which is interesting. Right. And, you know, to be honest, I'm the same way because a big chunk of what I make every year is commission based. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have a base. I know how much I'm going to make on my base, but the majority of the money I make is commission based. So, yeah, I could have one good year and one really bad year. But like you were saying, it tends to average out. Right. It tends to average yeah. out, mm -hmm. it, you know, surprisingly enough. So you just take a five year average and that's mm -hmm. the way you kind of think about it. Mm -hmm. And really the rule as far as how much you should be investing and how much you should be spending is 50 percent of what you make should be on your needs, right? So that's your car payment. That is, you know, your rent, your mortgage, all of that maximum 50%. If you can do it lower than that, that's great. Mm -hmm. Then you have another about 30% that should go to your wants. That's your play money, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff, you know, your hair, all, all the stuff that's not necessary. And I know people are like, hair is necessary, but it's really not, right? <laughs> These grades, it's necessary. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. So I, I always say scale that back, you know, scale that back to about 20%. 10% mm -hmm. should go into your savings account. And that is for, you know, bigger purchases. If you want to buy a house or a car, maybe go on a big vacation, that's your money for that. 10% should be in your emergency fund. Do you guys have an emergency fund? No, like, we just have no okay. bank accounts. Right. And that's <laughs> I really, feel like if it gets right. lower, then I'm in an emergency. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly, like exactly. And and all these accounts should be separate, right? So mm -hmm. then you have two checking accounts, one for your needs, one for your wants. Then you have a savings account that for bigger purchases and then another savings for your emergency fund where you have three to six months worth of living expenses in that account. Once that account, okay, is three to six month living expenses, then the remainder of the money you can start investing. So then, you know, you have your savings, mm -hmm. you have your emergency fund, you have your play money, you have the money that you need for your, for your needs. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the rest you can invest. Mm, that's a good, that's a good formula. Um, since we were bringing up husbands a little bit, you know, we're in relationships. What do you do if your financial goals are not the same? Like, mm. how do you kind of, you know, reconcile that, you know, if somebody yeah. wants to invest more or somebody wants to save more, like, how do you do that? And it is hard. Like what Tamman was saying, like, you know, myself and my husband, were both entrepreneurs, you know, we have our own businesses right. and it's, yeah. So you're constantly, you know, you're kind of living on the edge a little bit. <laughs> right. I feel, right. And I feel like before we answer that question, yep. I feel like a lot of people don't have that conversation before mm. they get together, unless Bingo. you're of a certain age, right? I met my husband at 22. Um, mm. I was making money. I was an actress. So I was like, whatever. We've always had everything together. I've always been like that. We throw it all in the big old because we all make money at different times. My husband's not a tech. He's, he doesn't spend. So I don't feel afraid he's going to go and waste all our money. So but like we never had the conversation of like, where do we want to go financially? Because for me, 
I love making money. I don't really care about on spending it on. I just love the feeling of it based in like how my father used to make money. He was a hustler and I love it. My husband's a creative, which I am too, but he, he could live in a car and be happy. Like it doesn't drive him, meaning like it's great. I don't see Tamman. I don't see Tamman living in a car. No. Yes, me neither. Look, if he lived in the car or the Four Seasons, he would have the same happiness level. I would oh, not. Yeah. I would have a very different yeah. happiness level. So we don't have you don't have those conversations, you know, before you get together. And I think that that's one of the biggest issues in in financial relationships and your finances. Yes, exactly. I mean, people will talk about like, okay, do we like the same movies? Do we like the same food? Do we like the vacation the same way, you know, but they don't talk about their financial goals and whether their financial goals align. And, you know, finances are one of the top reasons relationships end. It's because you're not on the same page financially. So you don't ask these questions and you get married. You're like, oh my God, your, your credit score is a 510 and we can't get a loan or, you know, you can't get a job because your credit score is so low. So these are the conversations that you really need to have before getting married. However, if you, you are married now and your relationship, you know, is, is on the right track, but you're different, you have differences in the way that you spend money. I always say that you need to go with a more conservative approach. Mm -hmm. So whatever the more conservative, conservative approaches, that's really the better approach because that's going to, at the end of the day, give you the most amount of money in your pocket. And, you know, my, Mm -hmm. my fiance, he's a creative, just like you, he's a musician, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he'd be happy living in his car. He'd be happy being in a studio the rest of his life and no one bothering him. Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. So when we decided, you know, that to move in together, we really have the conversation of, okay, who's going to pay for what? What do you feel comfortable paying? What do I feel comfortable paying? And not only that, but if we're buying an asset together, okay, so if we're paying different amounts, who's going to own more of the asset? Are we going to split it 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. So you really need to have those conversations around what you're going to do with your money now, who's going to own what? Because if you don't, then, you know, their expectations may be very different than yours. You may be thinking, I want to, you know, split everything 50-50 and the other person's like, well, I can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. And do you think that you should have, I've never had a separate bank account. Um, Do you think women, like husbands and wives or partners, people are together should have different bank accounts as well Mm. as what you said, the savings and the checking and the investing. Do you think that they should have their own bank accounts as well? 100%. I always say there's no point in making your own money if you can't control it. Mm -hmm. There's no point. And what happens is that in in relationships, uh, in the beginning, things are great or things can be great for years and years and years and years, right? And everyone's happy. But things can change in an instant. And when things change and when shit goes down, you need to be prepared as a woman as to what you're going to do. You need to have money in order to be able to get yourself an apartment, in order to be able to pay your bills, to do all that. And it is just so prevalent in relationships when they go bad for people to become very selfish and not be, you know, as generous as they are with money. I mean, look at Erica Jane, for example, you guys are familiar with mm-hmm. her, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So she was married to Tom Girardi, a billionaire that had this mansion up in Pasadena, right? 
And all the money she was making, she was giving to him. They had one joint account and she had no control over her own money. Mm -hmm. So when he was embezzling money, when he was, you know, and when he went bankrupt, she got dragged into it. She Mm -hmm. didn't have any access. All the assets were frozen Mm -hmm. and she would have never imagined in a million years that 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 was that's what was going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. People don't get married thinking that they're going to get a divorce. Nobody Mm -hmm. does. So you want to really protect yourself and have an account for yourself that's going to allow you. I always say it's your in case shit happens account (laughs) that's going to allow you (laughs) to have some independence if stuff goes wrong. So what should a woman do? Let's say, because, you know, a lot of women stay and a lot of men too stay in in marriages and relationships because of finances, right? Right. They're too scared to leave, you know? So what do you say to people like that who feel stuck, like that maybe want to end a relationship or move on, but they feel stuck because of the financial picture? Right. You need, you need to get a job or you need to get a side hustle and you need Mm -hmm. to put away some money. Mm. That's where it starts. The reason you feel stuck is because you are not financially independent enough. And you're like, okay, if I leave this relationship, I can't support myself. And that was my, that was the reason my mom stayed in a very mentally abusive relationship with my Mm. father Mm. because she felt like she had no choice. And really that's where my, um, just my drive comes to teach women. These things is because I don't want people to end up like my mother. So Mm. start working, start building yourself a a nest egg, put it in a separate account that only you control, right? Mm -hmm. And then you will feel confident enough to leave the relationship. Mm. You also talk about financial infidelity on your Instagram Mm -hmm. and TikTok. What is that? And can you explain a little bit more about it? Mm-hmm. Yes, financial infidelity. Like, have I anytime... been financially infidel? <laughs> <laughs> financial <laughs> cheater. I think everybody has, you know, I really do. I don't think there's a person on the planet that hasn't been, you know, <laughs> some way, shape or form done that. Mm-hmm. But financial infidelity is when you're spending money and you're hiding it from your spouse. Gotcha. So it can be any anything mm-hmm. as little as you know, hiding the Amazon packages that come every day, or you're going and shopping and you're coming home and putting away the clothes and throwing the bags away. So your spouse doesn't know or Uh buying stuff without them knowing. So for example, I had, I had a a couple who he went and bought a car without telling her a car. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, how you kind of deal with that is first, you really have to inspect what you expect. Mm -hmm. Look at the bank account, see what, where the money's going. Um, I have a very good friend whose husband was taking out $8,000 a month and giving it to his mistress every month. And she had no idea. She had no no idea. And you know why? Because they had a lot of money. They had a lot of accounts. So she trusted her husband. She wasn't going to dig through every account. So when she found out what was going on, right, she did some friends accounting. And guess what? He was $8,000 a month. He was taking for years and giving it to his mistress. Right. So you have to really inspect all the bank accounts Mm -hmm. know exactly what you have, what you don't have. You can't just be like, Oh, you know, I'm going to let the man take care of it because he's Mm -hmm. better at numbers. First of all, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Men are not better in numbers than, than women are. Women are better investors than men. Mm -hmm. Our rate of returns are higher and we manage money better. Those are just facts. So you have to also know that, you know, they may be doing something that you may not know about. So inspect everything and always be honest with your partner. 
It's mm. funny because I, I, I don't yeah. know if you do this, Roxy, and you tell me mm. if you do, mm. but like I'm always, mm. if it's over 200, I mm. always tell my husband. Like we kind of have okay. this rule if it's like under okay. like 150, like if he has to go buy some shoes or whatever and mm-hmm. he has to buy something for the kids or I'm getting some face products or whatever. If it's under 150, we don't really tell each other. We don't have to tell each other. It's on the bank statements right. or whatever. But if it's over 200, then we have the communication and we say like, hey, I'm going to buy this. Are you cool with it? Although he always says yes, like he doesn't ever say no. But like I'm, I always mm-hmm. communicate that to him. Because I've always been so obsessed with like knowing what's in the bank accounts. That maybe that's a, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just because I've always Very made smart. money. But what do you do, mm. Rox? Do you do you communicate well. about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's on a need to know basis. Uh- <laughs> oh my gosh, you've been financially cheating. <laughs> maybe a little bit, you know, if there's a good sample sale or something, I'd like to hit, you know, do we always have to talk about that? No. Does he see it? Does he see it on the bank account and then t- like say well, something? We have, we have separate bank accounts. Like we have separate, um, personal bank accounts, but right. we have a shared business account. Cause he recently, he, um, he was working with a company and then he went on his own. So he sort of jumped into my LLC now. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of having a shared business account because we have very similar sort of um, businesses. So at the LLC sharing works, but we have separate personal accounts. So right. we spend, you know, mm-hmm. kind of personally, I mean, I would say that he probably spends, um, you know, for like more like the household, like expenses, like, I mean, we have shared grocery. We share, I don't know. I kind of, we don't have like a set sort of thing. He probably pays like more of the utilities and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we kind of both share in the grocery shopping and, but we do have separate personal accounts. And does the money that, so just say he's making the money that month, does he then give you money into your account or is it just the money that you've made and it has nothing to do with him? Well, since we have a shared LLC, we both have access to it. So we take from it what we need to take for, you know, like our personal accounts because we're both, we both have access to it. So Mm -hmm. he doesn't give me money. Like I take it, but we have a very strict for the LLC. It's very much like it's on QuickBooks and it's like accounted for. So every like dollar that goes in or dollar that goes out is accounted for. Right. So, you know, I mean, we both like to kind of keep an eye on like, you know, what goes in and what comes out. Um, I would say maybe a little more so him, that's just his nature. He's a very like kind of, you know, practical with money kind of a person. I'm a little more like, Oh, can't we do this and that? So I need, (laughs) sometimes I need a little more grounding, but, um, but yeah, so we try to keep like a track on like the finances Mm -hmm. in that way. Like, you know, with that kind of a thing. I mean, do you recommend QuickBooks? Do you think that that's a good way to account for money coming in and out? Absolutely. I love QuickBooks. I love it. I think it's a really, really great way because gosh, I mean, if you're familiar with QuickBooks, you know that you can search based on any criteria, right? And Mm -hmm. the categories are amazing. So yeah, I definitely recommend QuickBooks, but even outside of QuickBooks, like you should know the assets that you have, like properties Mm -hmm. that you have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you another story. This woman, this little old lady, she was married to her husband for 50 something years. They had grandkids. They lived a 
very just middle-class life. They shared one car. Okay. I mean, this is the kind mm -hmm. of life they lived. Mm -hmm. They sold their house and they moved into an apartment, very just modest living. They go to get a divorce. Right. And the attorney again, does some forensics accounting mm -hmm. and the wife had said, yeah, we sold this house. And then the attorney finds out they had never sold this house. Oh, she goes, what do you mean? We've never sold this house. Yeah. You've never sold this house. Your husband has been collecting money around this house for years oh. to come. Oh, really? What kind of money? Well, the house has mineral rights and it has oil oh. under it. So oh. millions of dollars her oh. husband has been taking from her, not telling her with their one little Honda Civic that they have been wow. driving around right? Mm -hmm. This entire time living modestly. And she had oh. no idea because she thought always, oh, well, if he says we sold the house, we sold the house. Mm. You need to see proof. You need to know if, if he's saying, saying that, you know, they, he sold the house, look mm. at the deed, make sure it's transferred. Just do some investigating. Pam, and what if David and Sean are secret oil barons? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'll take it. You know, that would be the biggest shock to my, you know, I handle all the finances in our, in our household just because I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. I, I enjoy right. earning money, saving money, spending money, all, the whole thing. It's just, again, right. my dad, we immigrated and he had a big mm -hmm. job in South Africa and then we could take no money out of the country. So I saw him hustle and then my parents worked together. That is one yep. thing. And I know people probably say this, but that is one thing in my relationship that I do not have to worry about. If anything, you know, it's funny. If, if And you're looking at me like, look at, you're like, <laughs> well, you never know. But if anything, my <laughs> husband and I got divorced. He's the type of person who would just walk away and give me everything. He's, it would be a very weird, um, a character complete turnaround. Like I've been with him for 16 years now. He just has never taken anything from me. Never a cent like ever. He just is always about giving to me and my family. And if he, if he made a chunk of money, he'd buy my parents a car. Like that's the type of person he is. So like if we broke out, like he'd just be in his one bedroom apartment, like crying, like, you know, giving like an honey. Okay. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that he would be th that generous if, again, these are just scenarios, right? Affair? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And had a child with another man or got, you know, pregnant by another man. Yeah. Because or, he, you know, he, or, like, he says to me, if I ever cheated on him, it's my loss. And then he hopes I'm happy. Which is very evolved, by the way. I, I would know, not do. That's I would so not easy be to like say that. now. You know, that's easy to say because you're not in this situation. And again, I'm not saying what you're what you're indicating is wrong or your perception is wrong. I'm just saying that it's yeah. easy to say, "Oh, well, if you cheated on me, then I hope you're happy." And then when it happens, your emotions just like right. play such a huge role in the mm. way that you act. And that's what I've seen is that people are completely different when divorce goes down. Right. And especially, you know, one of my friends, same thing, you know, she thought the same thing about her husband and, you know, in fairness to him, he tried to be fair, but his emotions wouldn't let him be as mm -hmm. fair as she thought he would be. And she, she wanted to, and the marriage he didn't. Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, I'm not going to let you have all this money to go live your best life with <laughs> dude over here. You know, like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I would not be okay with it, but I've, I, it's really right. annoying. It's really, what's the biggest frustrating thing in our relationship is like, if there's ever a fight, he's not a chase, like he's not going to chase me and it's not going to be a whole thing. It's like, you do you and 
you make yourself happy. Like it's not my responsibility and it's not my job. I wish I was that evolved. I'm not. I want him right. to like feel suffer if I'm suffering. <laughs> but he's just not like that. But um, but yes, I do I do think separate bank accounts. Do you know for us, I think separate bank accounts would be great just so he can go have fun with money. I know that sounds strange. Right. He doesn't really no, absolutely. ever take he doesn't go have fun. Like go buy something that's just like a com- he loves comic books and all that kind of stuff so go buy a comic book that you can hold on to that's like expensive you know those expensive ones that are like mm-hmm. you know that are yeah. 50 years old go do that because right. that makes mm-hmm. you happy because I feel like I have that I have that choice to go and have fun and I want sure. I want him to as well like go have fun go buy something frivolous you know so separate bank mm-hmm. accounts and I think will give us some more point. freedom yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, th- and that's the point of having your own bank account is that you get to do with that money, whatever you want to do without having mm-hmm. to answer to anyone, without feeling weird that, oh, my God, so-and-so is going to see I spent, you know, $300 on on a pair of shoes or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a little financial freedom or so you're not feeling so suffocated so much in a relationship like you have some sort of independence. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Now, OK, getting into the workplace a little mm-hmm. bit, because I know, you know, as women, we haven't exactly had the advantage, I would say, when it comes yep. to finances in the workplace, right? Yep. And in fact, even yep. probably held back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, right? Because we're yeah. not really, as women, I feel like supposed to talk about money, you mm-hmm. know, in that way of like, yep. really, you know, reaching for it and really going for it, which is right. a shame, because we should have the same freedom as men mm-hmm. in that way. Uh, but how do we, and this could really apply to anybody, how do we ask for a raise? Particularly, you know, as a woman, you're not used to sort yeah. of, you know, approaching maybe even, let's say, a man to ask for a raise. Right. Like, what is the best way to do that? I always say you need to lead with facts, not feelings. Okay. Mm-hmm. And facts require numbers. Okay. So a lot of people go into their boss's mm-hmm. office and say, well, I want to raise because Stan is making more money than me. I'm mm-hmm. like, who cares? That is a horrible reason to ask for a raise. You're not going to get a raise for that. You have to show that you actually deserve a freaking raise. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is what you do. First, you got to research to see what percentile your current salary falls into for your mm-hmm. job. So go on payscale.com or even mm-hmm. I, I think it's, um, it's payscale.com or salary.com actually, but both of them, they have this information. You put in your job title, your level of experience mm-hmm. and in the city in which you live, and it'll tell you what percentile your salary falls into. So let's say you're making $100,000 a year for your job. It falls in the 50th percentile, mm-hmm. for example. Then what you do is you need to start bragging about yourself. You write out a list of all the accomplishments that you've had over the past year and be braggadocious. Like a lot of men are so easy about bragging about Mm. themselves. And we women just don't like to do that. Mm. But brag all the accomplishments. If you can quantify and say, oh, the projects I've worked on have increased the revenue of this company by 10%. If you can Mm. quantify it, do it. If not, that's okay. So you got your list and you know where, what percentage you fall into. Then you ask for a meeting with your boss. You never, ever want to just blindside your boss with just walking in. So you ask for a meeting. And in that meeting, you say, you know, I did a, I did some research and my fa- my salary falls within the 50th percentile. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, over the past year, these are my accomplishments and I am an above average employee. Mm-hmm. So based on my based on my accomplishments, is it is there an opportunity to get a raise to the 75th percentile, which mm-hmm. is X? 
And there it's like, if you're in 50th percentile, you're just average, right? But you're showing them and proving to them that you're above average. So you should be paid above average. Mm -hmm. And then after you say 75th percentile, whatever it is, X, and then you be quiet. You don't need to keep selling. You don't need to keep talking and see what they have to say. And that is how you ask for a raise. Yeah, I feel that women, like they, they're not getting promoted as much. And yeah, you said on your Instagram that there's a reason why they're not getting promoted. So it's one thing to want a raise and to want to be promoted. And there's another thing to actually getting the promotion. And can you explain to our listeners why that happens? Yes. Uh, The biggest reason women don't get promoted is because they're not applying for the jobs. Mm. So Hewlett Packard did a study because they were wondering why women were not applying for the upper level management jobs. And the study came back and they learned that in order for a man to apply for a job, he felt like he had to meet 50% of the requirements. If he met 50%, he's like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to apply for this job. Women, on the other hand, had to meet 100% of the requirements before they would apply for the freaking job. I mean, 50% is an F, but women were like, you know, meeting 80, 90% of the requirements and still not applying. So that just goes to tell you that we women need to take control of our insecurities and understand that we have a lot more qualifications than we think. And just because we're not, you know, bragging about it like men always do, we still should apply for those jobs. And frankly, women have been proven to be better leaders. We outperform men in every single category except emotional stability. And in emotional stability, we tie them. It's a tie. So you would think that emotional stability, women would be like, oh, a lot you know, worse than men. But no, we tie men with emotional stability. So our, the way that we perform when we're managers and we get, when we get promoted are always better than men, always. And another stat I want to give you, you know, Fortune 500 companies, 41 of them are women CEOs, right? And they outperform every woman, woman CEO in the four, Fortune 500 outperforms any guy and by an average of 123%. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that we belong in management, I don't know what does. And, uh, you know, with going along with the workplace, you know, women, I know we give away a lot of our power when we're in the workplace, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's actually quite unfortunate, you know, because we could have a better position, you know, absolutely in a lot of cases. So what are some of the things that we do that give our power away and how do we correct that? Right. One of the main things that we do is that we are shrinking violets and we don't believe that we're good enough. So we act like it. So our body language exudes that we're incompetent. Like, you know, we're shrinking violets, our shoulders are down. We never really make eye contact. When men walk around the office, head up, chest out, like they're walking into an MMA weigh-in, right? So confident, even though they don't have anything to back it up. Mm -hmm. So people treat them better than they would treat the woman who's like a shrinking violet. So it's body language. Act like you own the place just like men do. When you're in meetings, speak up. The things that you have to say are very valuable and make sure that you're involved in the meeting. 
and you need to call out sexist behavior mm. because men will shut you up. They won't listen to what you say. They will steal your ideas. It's happened to me so many times where I'll say something and no one says anything. Right. <laughs> and then the second John says it, they're like, oh, yeah, what a great idea, John. Mm-hmm. And instead of letting that go, I call that out now. I'm like, wow, John, thank you so much for thinking that my idea was so great that you had to reiterate it. So you, you have to call that out because mm. a lot of times, to be honest, they don't even realize they're doing it. They don't even get it. It's not even something that they do intentionally. It's just that they've been inculcated to act that way around strong women. So you got to call it out. And unless you call it out, it's not going to change. And so you said that the women outperform the men in the Fortune 500 companies by a hundred. Mm-hmm. What, was, what was the percentage? 123 percent on 23%. average. 23 percent. Do you think 123? So do you think they outperform them because they have to? Right. Isn't it like, you know, when you see yeah. uh, th- they say that a woman pilot to even become a woman pilot, the woman yeah. has to work so much harder to prove that she is capable, just like the, the, the like the other uh, men are, that she's actually working so much harder than anyone else in in her company yes. because she has to prove that she's a woman and she can fly a plane. So are they outperforming because they they have to. Right. Don't you you have to to get the same. No, I- Absolutely. Level of respect you, you, and make the same amount of money. Absolutely. In order for you to get promoted, you you have to outperform the men. I would say I say twice as twice as good as they do. You have to really do just a job that they can't even compete with. So, yeah, I do think that that's one of the reasons we do outperform men. But also, I think instinctually we have higher intelligence quotients. So we understand how how to deal with people. Our leadership skills are better. Our communication skills are better. Our motivation skills are better. So inherently, we have these skills. We just have to be confident enough that we can outperform the men and just go for those jobs. But yes, I mean, you know, female CEOs, everyone talks about how, well, they're not as nurturing as they need to be there. Dude, this woman had to claw and fight her way to where she is now. You know, mm. she's not going to be that little, you know, lovey dovey. Oh my God. Kind of, kind of person. And that's okay because we don't expect that from their male counterparts. Mm. Right. So we don't expect men to be that way. But when a woman is, can do the same exact thing, the same exact way, say the exact same thing as a man, and he's going to be seen as wow, he's so strong and decisive. And she's going to be seen as bossy and aggressive Mm. for the same exact behavior. Because they love to categorize and put women in a box, right? It's like, oh, she's bitchy. She's bossy. It's like all these things. So let's say, you know, you're a woman in the workplace and you're actually not feeling supported by other women. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you do in a situation like that? Do you try to create alliances with other women and try to come together in that way, you know, because there, there is, you know, there, there are plenty of women who are supportive of one another in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's like the the other cases, like the majority, but if you're in a situation like that, what do you do? Well, one of the reasons that people feel that women are not as supportive is because we are fighting for the job. Mm -hmm. Right. We feel like we're fighting for it. So there's, there's not as much camaraderie as as you know, men, because, you know, men is like the good old boys network. They're not Mm -hmm. fighting. They'll just get the job because they're a dude, Mm -hmm. but we women have to fight for it. But I, I would say that I don't worry very much about 
getting support from other women. Mm. What I worry about is doing my job the best that I could possibly do and kicking ass to the point where they can't say no to me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what another woman does or says or acts or whatever. You need to worry about you and your performance and you're not there to make friends. It's great if you do, but you're not there to make friends. You're there to do a job. And when Mm -hmm. I say you're not there to make friends, I don't mean backstabbing or anything like that because Mm -hmm. that'll come to bite you in the ass. Mm -hmm. But I just think that you need to focus on being so amazing that they can't say no. Mm. Now, Roxy and I have little girls and, you know, my my oldest is 10 and I have a four-year-old, so I don't have to worry about the four-year-old right now. But the 10-year-old is like, right. you know, I'm just going to go to New York and travel my whole life. And <laughs> I feel like the new generation, like Gen Z is one thing and then there's after Gen Z. And I'm like, oh, my uh. goodness, you know, I'm a millennial and and. I don't think this was great. I I worked myself to the bone. I have I've had burnout so right. many times. I literally ha- gave birth and went straight back to work. I if I don't work, I actually get anxiety because I'm I'm a workhorse. I've I've worked my whole life. I'm a hustler. I have to be working consistently. Mm-hmm. I went to a supermarket recently, not in Australia, it was in the US, and there was like no one to ask for like, where's the cheese or whatever. And I asked, I found someone, I said, is there no one working here? And he said, no, we're so understaffed right now. And I said, why? And he said, no one wants to work now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, I think America's got, I'm in Australia right now. And the the minimum wage is like $27 an hour. There's double time on the weekends, like $60, you know, uh, over Christmas break per hour. So I feel like all the young people in Australia are definitely working. So because they're at the pizza shops and they're making the salads. And I feel like right. maybe that's got something to do with it. Why are these American kids going to want to work so hard mm. for not a lot of money? So they're like, well, screw you. If you want to pay me a decent wage and I'll be there and I'll show up. Um, but then I also think there is this or is this and this is the conversation to have. Is there an entitlement? Is there a well, I don't feel like working. Is there, you know, I have a, I want a mental health day and that's a good thing. You know, what's going on with Gen Z and the and the and generations after and mm-hmm. is it a problem when it comes to working? It is a huge problem that Gen Z is getting a reality check on because all those people that didn't want to work now have no other choice but to work. And now they're getting the jobs that they don't really want because they can't support themselves. Even the biggest TikTokers, and I know just because I'm I'm on TikTok, the biggest TikTokers that went viral on, we don't want to work. You know, we're not getting paid anything. We're going to quiet quit. I don't know if you've heard of that terminology, mm. quiet quitting. What is it? What is yeah, it? Yeah, quiet, quiet quitting is, is essentially doing the bare minimum at your, at your job, not ever going above and beyond what's asked of you unless they're going to pay you. So, you know, not saying five minutes later, not doing one extra task, anything. So these people that put put it out there that we're going to quiet quit, that's the way it is. These people have gone back to work and are working like two or three jobs because Mm -hmm. it's coming to bite them in the ass. And they are finally understanding that that's not the way the world works and it's temporary. And I think it's because Gen Z and I actually had a psychologist on my podcast talking about this, which is really interesting, is that Gen Z does not have any coping skills. The second that they feel uncomfortable about anything, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, my mental health, I have to quit this job. It's not good for 
me mentally. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know, like I worked three jobs <laughs> oh while gosh. going to law school full time. When I was a prosecutor, you guys, when I was a prosecutor, I was making $30,000 a year because you don't make that much as a prosecutor. I was waiting tables at night. Oh, yeah. So I was yeah, throwing so up like, like I went to work with a stomach bug when I was filming when I was 18 right. years old. I was puking right. between takes and I was like, <laughs> and then I was like, action. I was like, did my job when I was pregnant. I was puking between right. takes like I yeah. never, ever did not show up. I've never missed a day of work right. for mm-hmm. filming. I don't think I've ever missed a day of filming ever in my entire life. Right. Right. You go. Right. You exactly. Show up. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what that's what they didn't do. So now it's coming to bite them in the ass because guess mm-hmm. what? People are going to be better than you. There are going to be there's always going to be someone that's willing to do the job. Mm-hmm. And now those people are the ones getting the work. And Gen Z is really regretting their attitudes about work. Interesting. Mm. You, you know, and like going along with that too, how do we teach our kids a good mm. work ethic? You know, what, how do we instill in our girls, you know, that you really have to, you know, set your goals and set your intentions and, and go after what you want and work hard. Yeah. I, I think, you know, one is just telling them that is very, very important, but I think the most important thing is forcing them to work for what they want not giving them everything. Mm. The biggest killer, the biggest killer of ambition is childhood affluence. Mm. That will kill ambition more than anything else. And I've seen it, you know, in, in even my friends who were, you know, rich as, as, as kids, and now they have no ambition to work, but guess what? That money that their parents had doesn't exist anymore. They maybe lost it or whatever. And now they're just screwed, but they just don't have the ambition to work. Don't give them anything. I started working and really out of necessity at the age of 10, mm. I went door to door in my apartment complex with a cart collecting people's garbage. So yeah. like, can I take your garbage out? And they would give me a quarter. I'd be so happy. Right. Mm. And then I've been working honestly ever since. And that's because I knew at a young age, if I wanted something, I had to go get it. Mm-hmm. So that's the way you do it is that if they want a car, they need, they need to at least pay for some of it, right? Mm -hmm. They need to get a job. If you're 16, you have to work. You have to learn how to manage work and school because a lot of parents are like, well, no, I just want their grades to be great. I just want them to focus in school. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many applicants I get that are just come out of college. Great you know, great grades have never had a job. I'm not going to hire that person. Mm-mm. I am not going to be the guinea pig. I'm not going to take the risk because that person hasn't proven to me that they can get their ass out of bed every single morning, mm-hmm. come to work. And it's teaching them also resilience. Like, you know, I do yep. think, I do think millennials in some way push themselves too hard. Like I, I don't think I needed that many burnouts. I think I should have felt that I was safe enough to ask and work. Hey, I'm really sick. I need like I'm, you know, right. I could go to the hospital. I'm that sick. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, um, yes. So I do think that we pushed ourselves to burnout. But I feel like, you know, I've had anxiety my whole life. But the reason yeah. I think I still succeed in life in general is because I do have that resilience. I do have that resilience of like, oh, crap, I'm having a really panicky day, but I'm going to put myself in the situation that makes me feel really uncomfortable until that panic subsides. And I realize Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay, And that gives me resilience. And I do think that, you know, I'm it's hard for me because I have this gentle parenting coupled with like try to have resilience. So it's like Mm -hmm. I want my kids to feel safe and nurtured and not shame and blame and guilt. But I also want them like 
if something happens at school and it teaches them a lesson, like you got to learn that lesson as well. And it's like that fine line of trying to like give your kids resilience and teach them resilience that you can make it in a bad situation. If your boss yells at you, you can't just like burst into tears. Like right. you got to like keep your shit together and then go to the ba- bathroom yeah. and then cry. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, because but, yes. And it's just and it's, a little anxiety. Life. Yeah. Right. And a little anxiety is okay. I don't know where we got this idea that a little anxiety or being, you know, uncomfortable mm-hmm. is not okay. And I'll be honest with you. I've been a hustler my whole life and I still, I do suffer from, from anxiety, mm-hmm. but you know what I'm not anxious about? My paycheck. Yeah. I'm not anxious <laughs> about how I'm going to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I'm not anxious about, you know, my, my financial future. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are like three things that our listeners can do today to, you know, paint a better financial picture for themselves, for their families to really kind of, you know, get the ball rolling. Okay. The the first one is get on a budget. I will say this until the day I die. That's the most important thing you can do is start on a budget immediately. Mm -hmm. The next one is pay off debt. Mm -hmm. And if you're not making enough money now to pay your debt, you need to get a side hustle. And that, that side hustle, the money you make from there goes to paying off your debt. And you're going to work that side hustle unless your debt is completely paid off and you're debt free. And the next is I, I mentioned it, start investing and start investing today because, you know, retirement is right around the corner. People don't understand how fast mm-hmm. it comes. Like I mm-hmm. cannot believe mm-hmm. I'm 51 freaking years old and retirement is 65. I don't ever plan on retiring, but I'm just saying like, it goes so fast. Mm-hmm. And the earlier you start investing, the better. Because, And I'm going to give you an example. If you start investing $100 a month, every month, that's it, $100 a month. After 30 years, you're going to have about $200,000 with an average rate of return of 10% because stock market gives you between 8 to 12%, okay? Mm-hmm. But after 40 years, you have $535,000. So in the last 10 years, between 30 and 40, you're more than doubling your money. So that's why investing early is really, really important because all those years, that compound interest is going to make a huge difference in the end. And you're not going to be stuck living with your kids or, you know, in a halfway house because you don't have enough money for retirement. I just started investing. It took me a long time because, again, I didn't I didn't learn all these lessons in the stock market. And sure. I'm kind of doing it like the QQQ. And the, I, I mean, I don't I'm just reading books and kind of going with my what what I'm hearing you should do, because the QQQ was the S SPY like what what do you when you say invest a hundred dollars a month invest in what for like a lot of people okay. they're like this sounds great in theory i don't right. even know what the stock market is. like i don't even know how to begin right and so mm-hmm. here here's the only thing you need you need to know you need to invest in etfs okay they're a type of stock they're like mutual funds and they are a pool of stocks Mm-hmm. And the reason you do that is because if you invest in Tesla, in Apple, in Google, at any given point, these stocks can go to zero and you can lose all of your money. Mm-hmm. When you invest in ETF, since it's a pool of stock, it is never going to go to zero. It's so diversified mm-hmm. that that stock is just going to keep rising and rising. Mm-hmm. So you open an account with Schwab or Fidelity. It's free. You could do that. Robin it's an Hood. investment account. Robin Hood, I, I, I would be a little wary because of their past and what's happened, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't love Robin Hood, but that's just my personal preference. Mm-hmm. Schwab or Fidelity, I think are great, solid companies, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can open or in, an investment account anywhere. And every month you buy more T- ETFs. Every month you just buy more and more. And if you're curious, which one should I buy? Google the top performing ETFs and buy those. It's mm-hmm. really that simple. And if you just stick to that, it's con- is consistency. It's not, you're never going to get rich off a stock. And if one person does, and I actually know someone that bought one stock, put his entire life savings, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, sold his house, sold his car, put it into one stock, mm-hmm. is probably worth $60, 70000000 million now, but mm-hmm. that is an aberration. That is not going to be you. And that is so rare. And everyone thinks that's them. It's Mm -hmm. so rare. And when you don't listen to anybody on MSNBC, don't listen to Kramer. If you look at his stock picks versus what actually happens in the stock market, he is 100% wrong all the time. Mm. This dude does not know how to predict anything. And by the way, nobody else does either. That's Mm -hmm. why you don't buy individual stocks. You buy ETFs. Wow. Okay. That's a insane like, story. Now <laughs> selling all my stocks as I'm we like, talk. Yes. <laughs> putting it all into one. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah and oh. that's it. But again, he could have lost it all, right? There was a time yeah, where he was example. so afraid that that, com- that company almost went bankrupt. Tesla was on the verge of going bankrupt. Mm-hmm. All those people that own Tesla stock, I mean, they were on the verge of losing it all, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, you'll get lucky once in a while, but you know, that's not the majority of people. So what about then crypto, you know, because mm-hmm. crypto has yeah. not had a great year, but, you know, I think people, some people are still investing in it and like, yeah. is it the right time now or is it not? What are we supposed to do with crypto? And people crypto made a is, lot of money really fast yes, right, with crypto yes. and then they lost. Well, a lot they have, but really they've also lost a lot of money mm-hmm. really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So if you bought Bitcoin when it was at 60, you lost a shit ton of money right now, right? Mm-hmm. So Crypto is part of your investment strategy, which is diversification. So put some in crypto. I own positions in crypto. Okay. But the money that I have in crypto is money that I can afford to lose. That's mm-hmm. the way I think about it. Because we really don't have a track record of crypto like we do the stock market, right? So the stock market, if you look, it's very predictable. It goes up like this, up and up. Mm-hmm. But you don't know about crypto. It's still just very tenuous as far as where it's going to go. So if you want to invest in crypto, ha- have, you know, have a small position, but mm. that should be money you're willing to lose. Mm. Okay. So that's investments, which I think is wonderful. But what about the people who, and I didn't even know my credit score until three years ago. How crazy is that? What? Because I, well, because I had a business manager for my entire life. So yeah. because I was in film and TV, I had someone else right. handle my money for a very long time. Um, then I left them because I was like, I cannot be in my 30s and have no idea. I didn't even know how to pay a bill because I had a business manager. Right. They did it all. I knew sure. what was in the bank accounts, but I didn't know right. anything about. So can you explain? Because some people don't even know what a credit score is. What's a good credit score? How do you get a better mm-hmm. better credit score? What happens if things have got into collections? Can you do uh, pay for delete? Can you reduce? Like what if someone had a credit card that was like they racked up $20,000? Can they try to negotiate? Like I'll pay $10,000 if, if you take it off my – can people come after you? Like tell us all about mm-hmm. the – before we go about the sure. credit credit scores. Sure, sure. So your credit score is what people that extend credit utilize to determine whether you're going to pay them back or not. That's mm-hmm. essentially it. And your, your credit score depends on a few things. One of them is your total outstanding credit, 
how much you have mm-hmm. uh, outstanding and mm-hmm. also your, your payments and how you've paid them back. Or if you haven't, if you've been late, if you haven't, and also your utilization rate, that means how much credit you have outstanding and how much of that have you used. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have five credit cards, each of them are, you know, ma- max out as, at a thousand dollars, your credit utilization rate is going to be very, very high. And you don't want that any, any anything above 30% for your credit utilization rate. And that's why you should never close a credit card ever. Mm. Pay it off. Okay. But if you close it, then that gives you le- less credit. So your utilization rate will actually go up. So pay it off. Now, if you're in credit card trouble, yes, I mean, there are certain agencies that you can work with, but just so you know, that shows your credit score that you've actually, or in your credit report that you've worked with certain agencies. So that does have an impact on how high your credit score is. Mm-hmm. I say anything under 650, you're going to be in trouble. Like we do not lend to anyone that has a credit score under 670. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the way you should think about it. And you should also think about your credit score is just not the most important thing. You should think about your debt to income ratio. What is that? That is your total monthly debt payments, whatever you're paying for your debt over your total monthly gross income. Mm -hmm. And that percentage shouldn't be anything over 43%. If it is, that tells you that you are not able to pay your bills and that you're pretty much headed to bankruptcy. So understand your debt to income ratio. That's also very, very important in your credit. Mm. So the way, again, if you're in credit trouble, you got to start paying it off. You can negotiate. There are people that negotiate with you. And, but you also have to make sure that when they, when you negotiate that they're going to give you the proper documentation to show that you paid it off and they're not going to report it, that you didn't pay some of it off because Mm -hmm. a lot of people get in trouble. They're like, oh, well, I paid it off and they don't have the documentation to support that. Mm -hmm. Or the documentation says, oh, we've negotiated or, oh, they didn't give me all of it or something like that. So it's very tricky. If that's the case, I always say work with a professional if you're in credit trouble, because they know the nuances that you don't and they can help you get out of debt. You know, I heard somewhere that it is possible to negotiate with credit card companies to lower your interest rate. Mm-hmm. Is this true? Like, can you true. do this? Okay. And yes. how do we, how do you do that? Well, basically you tell them, Hey, I mean, they're not going to do it if, if they think that you're pushed up against the wall because they have no incentive to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can say, listen, you know, my interest rate with your credit card is whatever I'm getting offer from whatever credit card at this percentage rate. Can you lower, can you lower the interest rate or else I'm just going to, you know, take my money out. I'm going to pay you off and I'm going to start using another credit card and you're not going to make any money off me, period. Okay, you're not going to close the account, but that's what you say is tell them that you have other options and then they will, they're more likely to do it. Sometimes they don't, they're just jerks, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the way you do it. And what is the ideal interest rate you want to shoot for on a credit card? Like Ooh. what's like? It, it, it really, really depends. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of credit cards offer 0% for the first year. You know, Mm -hmm. so those are really good options. However, they have a lot of strings attached. Like if you make one late payment, your credit, the interest rate goes like 20%. 
mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So understand what that means when they say 0% interest. Mm-hmm. And really the interest rate on a credit card should not matter to you because you should never carry a balance on your credit card past 30 days. You should only, only, only put things on your credit card that you can pay off at the end of the month. Mm. If you can't pay it off at the end of the month, you're not going to use your credit card unless it's an absolute emergency for which you should have an emergency fund. Mm. And back to the collections okay. thing, if something goes into collections like a medical bill and you've paid it, how long does it stay on that report? It will show off as paid. Okay. Right. It will show off as paid. However, you're not going to be able to take it off your credit report that it was late and that it went to collections. Ever. Even if the even if the company says that they will pay for it. Yeah, the because late. that's already, yeah, that's already and it, it depends on the country too. So it's different mm-hmm. country by country. But it will it will show that it something went to collections. It will show that it's paid. And typically that's good enough. Mm-hmm. But it will, it, it's going to be there for at least seven years. People, people really are going to look at your credit report for at least seven years of what you've done. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, if you have a bankruptcy, you're not going to be able to do anything for seven years. But past mm-hmm. seven years, people start to be a little bit more forgiving. Mm-hmm. But even if it's pay for deletion, you're saying it's still on the credit report. Even if it's pay for deletion, yeah. it'll still be well, there. You're like, not paying no it thing. to delete. <clears throat> yeah, there's no such thing. You're, you're, you're paying it. You're paying it to show that it was paid off. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you don't own it anymore. And that, look, I paid off the loan. I promised I would. That's mm-hmm. that's the way it works. Yeah. Mm. And what about like for people that are like first time home buyers, let's say that want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. What is the best way to prepare for that? Should they plan on saving 20 percent of the cost of a house for a down payment um, or that should they try to do like and also for like the loans as well? Like, is it better to do an interest only loan? Is it better to do a variable loan? Is it yeah. better to pay the principal at the same time? Like. And can you kind of reconcile all of those? There's so many variables that go into answering that question because Mm. it really depends on what your interest rate is. What Mm. is your financial situation, right? How long do you think you're going to keep your home? Is is this your forever home? You're going to keep forever? Then, you know, you may want a 30-year mortgage. Or is it something that you want to be temporarily, then you can get a 10% you know, a 10% arm. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I can say that you should always look into putting in at least 20% because Mm -hmm. when you put in 20%, you don't have to pay PMI, which is mortgage insurance and your mortgage insurance adds on top of what you pay for your mortgage. So you're paying more money, but you're not, that's not going toward your home or your principal. Mm -hmm. So save up the basic is save up 20% and be able to put down at least 20% when you're buying a home so you don't have to pay the extra mortgage insurance. Mm. Well, that is a big episode Uh, today. (laughs) (laughs) Man, so much great information. Do people come and see you personally, like one-on-one and get advice? Is that that Yes, yes. I I, I do one-on-one coaching online, yes. Well, we're signing up. We're signing up today. So much great information. Wow. I know it's, it's especially as a woman, like, because we're not, we're taught not to Mm -hmm. talk about money and kind of go after it. It's so refreshing Mm -hmm. to have someone on like you that encourages what we should be doing, you know? Thank you. That, that mm-hmm. That's my goal is to really allow women to be financially independent. That's mm-hmm. my goal. So if, if I'm doing that, I'm happy. 
<laughs> well, where can people find you? Where can they get one-on-one coaching? Tell us every, tell us everything. Yes. So my website, pattyasai.com, mm-hmm. um, all of my stuff is there. So I have courses on there. I have investment courses on there. So you can find me there. And on my TikTok and Instagram, which my handle is at Duchess of Decorum. And I also have a podcast, No Romance Without Finance, where we mm-hmm. talk about finances in <laughs> relationships. And it's a who you guys will love it. It's a really great podcast. So yeah, definitely listen to that. Well, we love that. Well, Roxy, yes. we have some food for thought. <gasps> we sure do. We're sure do. We need to manifest more of that green and get our education That's up with right. money. And we're going to get this. I know. That's I'm a big right. manifester. When I when I visualize my bank account and I just think about it and I feel good about it and I, I feel grateful, money seems to come in. So absolutely. It works. I it swear really it works. works. Like it's, yes. it's uh, when I'm in my good manifestation sort of period, yeah. money just starts racking mm-hmm. in. It's just the wildest yes. thing. Uh, I you really know. have to feel I good know. about money and your relationship with money has to be, you have to be grateful for it, you know, and be like, it's exactly mm-hmm. you know, feel good surrounding money. I definitely believe it's a 100%. Definitely. So thank you so much. And guys, don't forget to follow us on women on top official on Instagram and women on top podcast on Facebook and women on top official on TikTok. And I am Tamin Sursak. And I am Roxy Manning. And we are with Patty Asai. Asai. <laughs> said that right? Asai of relief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Asai of relief. Yes. And we are women. Women. On. on top. top. Bye.